from page 20, the Amar uh, HaSeichel, the intellect speaks, um, towards the end of the page. If you're following on page 21, it's also towards the end. Uh, we started this outside yesterday. Last week, excuse me, yesterday. Last week we started uh, speaking about this concept outside. We were beginning to discuss the concept of Tzimtzum. Okay, Tzimtzum, which uh, technically defined into English um, refers to a constrainment of energy or constrainment of whatever the particular thing is. And uh, we, we spoke about the fact that there are two kinds of Tzimtzum uh, in relationship to God vis-a-vis his world. There are two forms of Tzimtzum. I'll briefly review that and then we'll see the text inside and we'll try to delve into some of the significance of getting involved in this concept of Tzimtzum. If you, um, if you recall, last week we said that Lozado is most probably dealing with the issue of Tzimtzum primarily because of the philosophical questions that presented themselves if we believe in a perfect God and an all-good God and that man produces that which is... Uh, and that an individual would produce that which is uh, compatible with their own existence. How is it that we have a creation in which man is brought with so many shortcomings from the very beginning of his creation? That was the big question. And uh, philosophers for ages came up with all kinds of different answers to that question. Different gods, one god for good, one god for bad, uh, you know, different, all kinds of different ways that they dealt with it. God isn't good, there is no God. There were all kinds of different answers that came up in, in trying to solve that problem. And Lozano's answer to that problem is, is a remarkably simple one. Um, it, has di- it has different questions that uh, come up with it, but a rather simple one. Um, there's an issue of capability and there's an issue of will. God's capability was to create a world that would be perfect, to create a world even greater and even more limitless than the world as we know it is. That's a qu- incapability. But then there's a second question. Capability doesn't necessarily dictate that that's the will. I could have the capability for making something very great, but I don't want to make something terribly great. I only want to make it to a prescribed amount. The example that we gave last week at the end of the class, the professor of physics who has a Ph.D. that has to go in and teach a sub in a, in a general science class for seventh graders is not going to get into the classroom and show his capabilities. He's going to try to take what he knows and bring it down to the level of the students that have to learn. In other words, he's going to suit what he does to the ultimate goal that is most beneficial for the, for the audience that he's addressing. And therefore, God had certain goals for his world as well, and those certain goals required a world to be built with a certain context, and anything that fit into those goals was created. And that which wasn't, didn't fit into those goals wasn't created, not because God wasn't capable of creating it, but because God didn't want to create it. There's no purpose in having something around that has no, no purpose in the total scheme of things. Now, that obviously has a lot of uh, ramifications in other areas. It's a discussion that uh, comes up uh, constantly. The, the whole area in, um, in medicine or in biology, the, the, whole, uh, the whole discussion about vestige organs. Uh, if, if 
you're familiar with that or not, just hold on. Right, so we spoke about these two concepts of tzimtzum. And the discussion that always comes up in regards to tzimtzum is always the, um, the problem of <coughs> that people present about vestige organs. <coughs> I'm sure you're familiar with, um, with the fact that uh, biology has said that there are various things that within the human body that uh, are no, have, no re have no use. There's no, no apparent use for them. So is believed about the appendix, so is believed about the tonsils, adenoids, other things. And this is all the shitasai, which means in English this was all trying to, to go along with the concept of evolution, which said that man evolves from another species, and because man evolves from another species, there will be parts of him that it's going to take time until it gets added a system like three billion years or something like that. And until that time, there'll be things left over from, from an earlier period of time, which ha might have had a use at an earlier period of time, and are not useful now. And essentially, <coughs> what what the Jewish thinking always says is that creation is purposeful. God is obviously a creator and everything is purposeful and if everything is purposeful it means that everything has a reason for being where it is. Now it has been shown that many many things that were believed to have absolutely no use and no purpose you know comes 50 years later, 70 years later, 80 years later Everybody clucks with the tongue and says, too bad we took it out already, but it really had a good purpose if it would have stayed in there. And, um, you know, since it's happened so many times, it's easier even to believe and to accept the fact that there are mysteries. There are things that we don't know what their purposes are. But the, the framework within which we work is that we're dealing with a purposeful creation. Everything is there for a reason though there might be things that are unknown to us, what their particular reason is. And that's significant in, the, in these terms because what Lozano is essentially saying is that if we would want to accept a concept of a world that has lots of things in it that don't have any purpose, we would have a major question. The major question would be that what was God's formula? If we say that God's, it, let's, we have to figure it out. What would be God's formula? Is God's formula that I'm going to create what's necessary to create? Okay, and that's what I willed into creation. So it manifests itself in terms of God's will as opposed to God's capability. So fine. So then everything has to have a purpose. But once we say, no, not everything has a purpose. There are tons of things that God created that have absolutely no purpose. So now we have a problem. So now it means that God creates with what? Something that his will, which is defined by ultimate goals or by capability? By capability. So then how come he didn't make more? How come he didn't make it more perfect? So in other words, then we, then we get ourselves into a trap. If we, if we go with the premise that we're dealing with a, a purposeful creation and everything has a purpose, so then we talk about a, a world that reflects God's goals 
and God's will as opposed to God's capability. But if we look at a world and there's tons of stuff in there just because God's a creator and it doesn't necessarily have any purpose, so then how come only this much and not more? And you can't give me the answer because it doesn't have a purpose. This also doesn't have a purpose. So this, do you follow what I'm saying? So in other words, you get yourself into uh, a much deeper philosophical quandary if you're willing to accept the fact that there's a lot of stuff here that doesn't have any purpose. So then why did God create it? Because he, he knew how. So he did it. Right? So if he knew how and he did it, why didn't he do a lot more? So you get yourself into somewhat of, um, a, of a checkmate situation trying to grapple with why this and why not something else. Yeah? I was just going to say that it's, it's just because it doesn't seem to have a purpose to us doesn't mean that it Right. No. 100%. That's what, that's what we're maintaining. But we're saying if we would go with the argument, hypothetically, if we would go with the argument, no, God just, you know, he just shows what he can do. But it doesn't have to be purposeful. So then we got a problem. So is this all he can do? He can do a lot more. So why did he do this much and not more? While if we work with the, with the thesis of purposefulness, though we might not know the purpose of every single thing, so then we're talking about a, a world that reflects his will, but that doesn't necessarily reflect his capability. He didn't want to show everything that he could do. There was no need for it. So therefore, he created this, the world in this way. This is one of the areas that it touches upon. But let's see the text inside and let's get into some of the, of the important principles that Lazaro sets down here. Omaha Seichel, so the intellect says, Halakai Baruchu, Hayayachal Vabi Livrei Ha'adam, Vachal Habriya Batachos Hashlemus. There's no doubt that the Holy One could definitely have created man and the entire creation, for that matter, in ultimate perfection. God could, capability? He could have. And not only could he have, the truth of the matter is that by, by nature, God would have created a world that was perfect. Being that God is perfect in all forms of perfection, it would be appropriate that everything that he does in terms of his actions should reflect his perfection. So why doesn't it? Ella. So the reason for this is, as we just explained, the wisdom of God decreed. God wanted that man should perfect and fulfill himself. And therefore, and therefore he created these things in creation, namely man in this particular case, missing forms of perfection. This is, by the way, this is not referring to the ultimate perfection of the world, but it's referring to man being created with all of his potentials already realized. There were two forms of Simpson that we referred to last week that God could have created it a totally perfect world and then even within the context of the world that he did create he created potential states and not actual states and it's then man that has to come and take it from the potential state to the actual state so there are two kinds of symptoms. one symptom is that how far can this world get how perfect can this world get no matter how hard we work at it that's one 
So God said, I want a world of this size, these are the boundaries, and so on and so forth. Right? Then within this bound up this world of boundaries, he then said, okay, you have the ability to get all the way to this point, but not at the point of creation. At your point of creation, it's all potential. I'm holding it back, it's potential, and as you develop and as you work, you'll get to it. So that's the second second form of Simpson. He's talking about the second form of Simpson, where man is being constrained even within his own abilities, where it's put into a potential state later to be realized as an actual state by man's choices. Let me just finish the paragraph and then I'll take your question. God decreed in his infinite wisdom that man should have to complete areas of his life. And therefore, and therefore he created people with these deficiencies. And it's as if God was holding himself back from doing what he could do right, in creating a world as he created. So how did God make them? God made them in the form and in the nature that he willed. Not that he was capable of, but that he willed. Based upon the ultimate goals that God foresaw for the world, and his gevis, in his exalted themes and thought and and schemes. Right? That's that's the that's the um, the point that Lazaro is making here. Now let me just throw in one more thing before we finish the paragraph, which I think is significant. Obviously, the most critical statement that Lazaro is making here is that we're dealing with a God that manifests his will, not his capability. That's the, that's the philosophical statement. But there is also another implication to what he just said now, which is very much part of a Jew's way, the way that a Jew looks at his world. You're most probably all familiar, or at least most of you are familiar with the fact that Jews believe in an in, in ultimate state where Mashiach is going to come and then there will be a realization of God and God values in the world and people will elevate themselves to the levels that they were intended to, to reach. We talk about states of perfection, if you want to say utopias, say utopias, and sometimes it could come creep into our minds like, it, it sounds very upbeat and very optimistic, but very not realistic. Optimistic and realistic, but not real, but optimistic and upbeat, but not realistic. Why is it such a central part of Jewish belief, Bias Mashiach? Why can't we accept a world, why can't we believe in a world that, in which man is born and dies, and what he is and what he isn't is by the choices that he makes in his lifetime. He'll be rewarded, he'll be raptured, he'll, be, he'll, he'll get his... And, and the world spins on. That's all. Why do we have to talk about a world that's going someplace, going to this mysterious concept of a Mashiach, utopias, ultimate perfections, resurrections, which he's going to deal with? Uh, who needs all of that? Why is that so central? You're here, you've got a challenge, do your best. You'll do your best, you'll be rewarded, you'll grow from it, you won't, so you'll suffer for it. 
And every person enters the arena, does his best, leaves the arena, and then makes room for the next person. I mean, what, what do we need this whole... Like, why is it so central? And it's not the kind of a belief that, you know... It's not a pick-and-choose belief. It's not one of those optional things. It's a central part of Jewish belief. Maimonides codifies the belief in, in the coming of Mashiach and resurrection, which is a period after that which we'll talk about, as one of the 13 principles of belief, which means that it's as important and as significant as belief in a one God, or a belief in a God that has no limits, or a belief in the divinity of Torah, or the belief in prophecy. It's on equal basis, and the question is why. And the, really, the real answer to that question, amongst the real answers to that question, is right here, in this paragraph of Lozado. Because what Lozado is presenting for us is God is perfect. God is total good. If God is perfect and ta- God is total good, even the world that he created, not to, in, to manifest, not to mirror his capability, but, to, com- to, but to, to manifest his will, certainly God's will was that the world should eventually reach an ultimate state. If God is perfect, it could be that on a provisional basis, God doesn't want that the world should be there, but that the world should work towards getting there. But being that God is the creator, so somewhere deep down in that which he created is the program for the world to mirror who God is. And that's why, in other words, even though in the day-to-day the world is deficient in many different things, but we say that the mark of the Creator is there. The mark of the Creator is perfection. The mark of the Creator is wholesomeness. The mark of the Creator is that He wants the ultimate good of man. And if those marks were made as God being the Creator, they have to come. It might take thousands of years for it to come, but the relationship that God has to being the creator of the world means that sooner or later that has to show up. There's constraint of energy, but not the obliteration of energy. Right? That's the what. See, when we talk about Simpson, we're not talking about the obliteration of a of a force. We're talking about a holding back of a force. It's there. It's being held back. It's very much like somebody wants to run a mile and you're holding him. The minute you let go, he's, he's let free, and he, and he runs his mile. And it's very much the same kind of relationship that God has with his world. There's symptom, there's constraint in the world that God created. But that constraint is not the natural state of God's relationship to his world. And those are delicately phrased in those words of Lozado. What did Lozado say? Lozado said that the nature of God would create a world that's perfect. The nature of God would be to create a world that's perfect. And the world that we see is an unnatural production of God. Unnatural things don't last. Natural things last. Unnatural things don't. And here, in this, in these, these, this phraseology of Lozado of saying, the world that you're looking at with all of its shortcomings, it is not the natural production of God. It's an unnatural production unnatural productions have a way of filtering their way out of the system to be left with the natural production, to be left with what, what was always intended and what was always meant. And this is why when we talk, for instance, about 
the thirteenth concept, the coming of Mashiach, resurrection, the, the utopia of the world, quote-unquote, is bound up with our belief in the first of the thirteen principles, the belief in a one God, the belief in a good God, the belief in a God of full capability. There is no one of the thirteen principles that's not tied to all of the other thirteen. And this, there was a whole book that was written, by the way, by the Yaivitz, to prove how each and every principle doesn't stand with the other, without the others, how they all flow from each other. And this thirteenth principle is tied to the first, to the, to the belief in a God, a, a, a perfect God, a limitless God, a, a God with, you know, of absolute existence. Yeah, okay. What, what is the thing you said about the alternative way of looking at it that uh, you just live and you do what you're supposed to do and uh, whatever you get I mean you know you do the best you can if you don't succeed win and lose life, right now what is it that is a, a, a way a person could possibly look at this life now? I was asking it as a, a way of forming a question asking the question yeah I understand but I'm just as the hypothesis because I, I want to see the, contra- the contrast so that yeah I why not what what, what, we, what are you saying that if God in his perfection that would have been a way an angle for him to have taken no in perfection it's not an angle so what but in been? terms of the way we view our world without getting deeply involved in, in the whole thing why couldn't the world just spin on for millions of years in that form what would be wrong we would have our challenges we would grow and everything else what would be wrong one thing would be wrong where is the God that created the world where does the, when does the mark of a, of the God that created this world finally show. Well, that would reward, be the. If you get rewarded for doing the right thing. Then no, but as a well. creator, if you're talking about a world, if you're talking about a created object of God, yeah. when does it show? When does it show the, the work, the imprint of its master? It shows the imprint of its master when it moves constantly in that direction of perfection. We'll see this. This is going to come up later. Lazada refers to this many times in terms of attitudes that we have towards bitul hara, that there's all kinds of uh, nullifications, disintegrations, all kinds of different processes that are in the world. And they all are reflections either of what God gave into the world or the end result of what God held back and the end result of what God held back in the world that he created. It's an involved thing. We'll see it more. I just wanted to touch on it because it's also involved in this concept here. One last quick thing. But that would not, but that uh, concept would not really work. We couldn't explain our world that way. Our world definitely would not, we could not say that our world works that way. No, it doesn't. doesn't No, it doesn't work that way. I'm just saying, why couldn't it work that way? In an ideal, as an ideal. Philosophically, that's what would be missing. Okay, let's finish the paragraph. Okay, so so far he touched on the tzimtzum of the concept of constrained energy in terms of man's uh, ability being in potential as opposed to actual. That was the first symptom. But then there is a larger symptom which I shared with you before. Here is included another uh, concept. This is very beautiful. This is the other symptom. The symptom that God didn't create the world limitless. Not the symptom that God only made us potential and we have to actualize it, but the symptom that God to begin with didn't just go a free-for-all and just create millions and billions and millions and billions for the sake of showing his capability. 
there was a point in creation that God said enough and the world ceased to be in the creative process of more and more species. Now this is a very fascinating thing and I'd like to spend a moment on it. God has many different names. Not because he's collecting checks or social security or anything on different names, but God throughout scripture and throughout all of the different places has many different names. And the significance of the different names is that each name teaches us something about God, a conduct to God, an attribute of God, a way that gives us a bridge to relating to this God. And each name has, has a meaning. The name that's spelled with the yud hey vav hey, which is considered the essential name of God, Shem HaEtzem, as it's referred to in Hebrew, is always the God of compassion. Elohim, is always refers to a God who judges. In fact, judges in the Chumash are called Elohim. Judges here are called Elohim. Ad Elohim Let their argument come to Elohim. And it doesn't mean to God, it means to court. So Elohim is always a reference to the attribute of judging. One of God's names is Shakai, or better, literally, for the sake of teaching, one could say it, Shaddai. That's one of God's names. That's one of God's names. Now, trying to investigate what's the significance of the name Shaddai, what's the significance of that name? So here we get the source of the name. What's the source of the name? God's creating his world. And he looks at his world at the end of six days of creation, however you understand what six days means. I'm not going to get into that. And God says, enough. And the creative process of the millions and billions of different species stops. Enough. Now, and that's where the name comes from, because like in the Haggadah Dai Dai Yenu, which means enough, Shaddai means She'amar Lo'elamai Dai, that he said, enough, you world, you evolved enough. Okay? And I didn't mean anything by that word. Right? You evolved enough physically. And it always bothered me, what on earth is this supposed to mean? Because of something that God did at the beginning of creation when he said, enough of the physical world, there's enough here for the purposes that I want, so then God gets forever and ever the name Shaddai. And it's used all over. I mean, if you look, it's used in countless prayers and in many different places. What's the significance? Because at the beginning of creation, God said, there's a, I created enough for the purposes, so that forever and ever God has that name, and it's put into many different places. <clears throat> so the significance is the following significance and this is a this is um, a very um, very uh, fundamental concept in Judaism God created a world in which he knew that the world that he was created in the physical senses of creation was a elam elam which means a world that had lots and lots of concealment the very fact, and let me explain what I mean. This is going to sound a little bit, um, it's going to sound a little philosophical, but you'll see in a minute what, what, where I'm leading. God created a world in which there's a physical existence, there's a physical presence of many, many different things. And then all of a sudden you tell a person, I want you to know that everything that you're seeing out there in the physical presence of this world is one form of existence. It's a sub-form of existence. The real form of existence is what you don't see. It's God. 
It's the neshama, it's the soul of man, which is a part of the existence of God. Now that immediately throws utter confusion into man. Here man takes for granted the definition of existence by virtue of everything that he can see, smell, touch, feel, hear. And then all of a sudden God says, I want you to know that's all relative to real existence. That's all a figment of your imagination. It's really not existence at all. Real existence is me. Real existence is the neshama, both of which you can't put under a microscope, both of which you can't scientifically prove with any kind of equations. That's real existence. And everything else is a subcategory of existence. Now, we scratch our heads. And, you know, like, you know, the, the poor philosopher, he's off the wall, he just went, you know, he just went too far. You know, then you go take it a little bit further. Let's give another example of this kind of an idea. And there's a table in front of, right here. All right, there's a table here. If I would tell you that this table can instantly disappear and not exist in any other form, if God would will it in the next Second to disappear. Vaita, I'm a sugar now. Crazy, you know, you never. He's taking his studies too far. It's, it's not real for us. It's here. You'll tell me that it's, it's going to slowly fall apart. You tell me that it'll find, it'll, the, the, the building will come down. The elements of nature will erode it and it'll fall apart. Fine. But to tell me that it's instantly going to vanish into nothingness just because it exists on God's will and when God's will is not there, it's not going to be there. Again, it's a contradiction to what we know to be in terms of how we accept physical reality. Nonetheless, as I, even though I made a joke out of it, but both of those statements are true. The statement about everything being a subcategory of existence relative to the existence of God the fact that this thing, every single thing in, in the world exists from second to second only because there's a will for it to exist and were that will to be su suspended for a second it wouldn't exist, both happen to be true. And say what you want about me, but they both happen to be true. I, we have a world that says, Meshugana, don't you see that the thing is here? That's Elam, that's the world, which is Helam. The nature of the physical world has within it a component of helm, of concealment. We are, this is created by God, and there are, there are the traps. I'm not saying that you get automatically trapped into it and you automatically don't see God, but there can be this uh, lack of sensitivity of different forms of existence. So the world is a concealed world. So God says the following, I want a concealed world not because I'm a masochist, So God says, I want this world in the form that I want it because it's going to meet a purpose. It'll create a challenge for man. If there would be no concealment of God and God's will, everybody would be compelled and forced to do the right thing, not because they wanted to do the right thing, but because there would be no other choice. It was shoved down my back. It was shoved down my throat. I had to do it. It's just a reality. So therefore God says, for the purposes of man's development, I'd like to thing. Then God so he lets a physical world be created. And then God looks at his physical world that he's created and at the exact point that he says 
That's enough concealment. Any more is going to defeat the purpose of the challenge to man. God says enough. That's the Shaddai. In other words, God is a purposeful creator of concealment. But the purposeful creator of concealment is in the context of man being able to grow. But at the point that God says, if I am to create more and bigger and greater and larger, the concealment will be beyond the ability of man to overcome that challenge and see me, God says, Shaddai, that's enough. Enough of the physical. Now, at what point, at what point does God say, Shaddai? At what point does he relate to his world? And he says, enough of the physical, which means enough of the concealment. It's in measure. Any more is going to be too much for man. That is with the creation of Shabbos. What's the concept of the creation of Shabbos? The concept of the creation of Shabbos is where God says, now that I've created in the six days all of the physical, now I have to introduce into the six days of physical, I have to introduce a neshama into the world, into time. The same way I introduce in the Shema into man, which is an example of the real existence as opposed to the subcategories of existence relative to that true existence. In time, in the world, there has to be a creation of real existence as well, just as there is in man. And that real creation of existence infused into the world is Shabbos. And it becomes the Shabbos that gives me the ability to see beyond, to see beyond the physical and to be, be able to see the God that's behind it. The Shabbos is that day. In other words, at the end of six days, God said, Shaddai, enough creation, enough concealment. Now we have to infuse, we have to infuse that the, the reality of God which comes through the holiness of Shabbos. That's the vehicle of Shabbos. And that brings that in. It's very interesting. In the Medrash, the Medrash it tells us that this world, the comparison of the six days of the world and the seventh day of Shabbos is compared to a pot and the food that's cooking inside of it. That's what the Gemara says. And the Gemara says that the six days of creation are the pot and the seventh day of creation being the Shabbos is the food. So for as long as we are creating the pot, we believe that that creation was made for the pot. But once we know of the food that's inside of it, we realize that the whole thing was created for what was inside of it. And that's the example that the Medrash gives for the Shabbos as well. That the relationship of the six days of creation to Shabbos is the same kind of relationship. So when Lazaro talks about that God looked at his world and made a tzimtzum and he said, enough of this physical world... In one sense, what Lazaro is trying to say is don't think that God couldn't have created more. He could have created more. Don't ever misinterpret the world that you see as a total reflection of capability. No. But what I'm saying to you in addition or in addendum to what Lazaro is saying is what's the significance of knowing? You know, we can walk away from this class saying shucks, God could have made more and he didn't. That's not the attitude that we should have. The attitude is the exact opposite. Shaddai, when God said, that's enough for the world, that was a tremendous commitment that God made to his world. I'm making a world, and I'm purposefully making concealment, but I don't want to make it too much. I don't want to make it above the capacity of man to see me. 
Because then it won't be consistent with the goal that I had for the world. The goal that I had for the world is that everything should be utilized ultimately as coming to realize God at the point that I create a world that's too big to, 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 to have to deal with a God within it, then it's counterproductive. So that shakai is a very, very significant word. Where does the word shakai come up? Okay, I'm going off a little bit on a tangent, but where does it come up? I'll just show you one place where it comes up and then we'll go further. It comes up by bris milah. This is the, one of the first times that we find the word shakai referred to. When God speaks to Abraham, making the covenant with, of circumcision and promising him that he reveals himself to Abraham in the name of Shakai. Tells him the mitzvah, tells him this mitzvah of Brismila and promises him Eretz Yisrael. What's the relationship of the, this name? What's the relationship of this name to Brismila? So the commentaries say it's very much the same. Because God created very natural, strong instincts within man. And brismila is to bridle those instincts and to give them a purpose and a foundation of meaningfulness that's consistent with the statement of God, Yes, I created you physical, I gave you biological drives, but I also implanted into that whole physical concealed world the ability to never lose sight of God. And the ability to never lose sight of God is expressed in the biological drive that man has that is, is, is specifically given a designation and given a purpose in the mitzvah of Mila. Because the mitzvah of Mila is the statement that the, the, from the strongest elements of physical drive and biological drive, God's there too. That's, that's the statement. And therefore, the name Shaka is used in terms of bris mila. There was a question. Yeah, uh, also appears on the uh, tefillin. Um, and what the connection was. Okay. It appears on the tefillin. Excellent. Excellent. The concept over there also is, is, is very, a very similar concept. Because if you look in the prayer before the tefillin, if you look in the prayer before the tefillin, the whole concept of the, the hand and the head, tefillin, is all the control of desire and thought. It's all, it's all the concept of controlling very, very strong desires and thoughts that man has. If you look at the prayer that comes before the tefillin, it's, it's again the same concept. And the shakai is saying, that it's, in other words, it's calling forth and saying to God, don't, don't, don't put on me more than I can handle. Right? It's saying that God has this relationship with his world, that he doesn't make it more than man can handle. And by man relating to that concept and dealing with that concept, that's also part of what the tefillin accomplishes. The tefillin has, like the Shabbos has, and like Brismila has, it has this element of shakai. Yes, there's a physical world, there's an involvement with the physical world, there's being engulfed by physical and biological forces, but shakai. There's also a shakai to that to that world as well. Yeah. Um, if God would have kept on creating and everything, would that was was that the continual the conti- continuity of the creation um, like leading to it would it have led towards a, a complete perfection that we wouldn't have had anything to do? 
Is that what, what, what was meant by like a continual process of creation? Would have been like everything would have been perfected by him. He's not he's talking. Or just more, more stuff. Just greater, right? More limitless, yeah. Okay, let's finish up the paragraph. V'hainu ki vade ha'yachol livre yaisabrius mimashibara. God could he hears your answer right here. God could have created a lot more than he did create. And everything that he created could have been a lot bigger than what it was. And if he wanted to create in in match, in synchronization with who he was, they would have no limit, they would have no measure. As there is no measure to his ability. But God created them in blueprint of what he wanted to see, the final product in synchronization with his goals. God introduced the nature and the measure that was appropriate for them for the purpose that God had for his world. And Lozado is throwing in over here a concept which I'm not going to get into, but Lozado is saying the whole concept of measurement is is a concept that has to be created on God's part. God, by His own nature, is not defined by any kind of measurement. Measurement is one of the things we take for granted in our world. Everything has a measure. Right? Some form, large or smaller, but everything has a measure. Lazaro here is making uh, a reference to the fact there's no, me- there's no c- measure is another one of the things that was created together with time and together with space measure was also another thing that was created now one way or the other it comes out that God definitely did not display his, his ability which is limitless but he displayed that which he requested to see as the end product and what he created and it should not perform and it should not do except within the consistency of what God wanted it to, to do. Okay. Amrahanishama. This is all can be argued logically. Because we believe that God is all powerful no matter what. And it's not possible to put any kind of measure or boundary upon God. And therefore, everything that we see is not his capability, but it is a dis- expression of his decreed will. Finished. Nigdar haklal Let's just put this into uh, a rule. You'll f- we'll find that in many different places, Lazaro, after he says a, a philosophical statement, he says, let's put it into an exact definition before we go further. Nigdar haklal Let us summarize this principle and then we will go on to yet another introduction which is vital in our understanding of this issue this is the principle God held himself back 
Shimon es he held back his, his what he was able to do bivrei nivraav in the creation of that which he created he did not make them the way he would be a manifestation of his ability but it's a manifestation of his will the kivain bahem and he had this intent when he created all things so if you want to know what is the energy of creation it's not capability the energy of creation is will and purpose that's the guts of creation the guts of creation is will and purpose, not capability. And even within the context of what he did will to be, he created them only with potentials and not actualized. So that they should complete themselves. And the completion that they will reach. They, that will be their own reward, the fact that they've worked for that completion. In merit of what they worked so difficult to, to get to that point. And this is all consistent with the fact that God wants to display and give of His ultimate good. Now I'm ready to hear your next introduction in the continuing conversation. Now, I hope that this you don't feel that this has been somewhat of a tangent. The, these principles of Tzimtzum, right, other than the concepts that I brought up, purposeful creation, the contrary to the concept of vestige organ, the the concept that everything is here with a purpose, and you know all of these things that we've touched upon, right? They will all come up later. Why Mashiach concept is an integral principle of Judaism. All of these different things which I've touched upon are all outgrowths of this principle, but it's not the time and place over here for Lazaro to get into this. He's going to get into it later, but he just wants to make this very clear from the onset. Okay, now we, we can distribute the new sheets, and as we're distributing the new sheets, if anybody has any questions or unclear about anything that we've touched upon up to this point, I'll, I'll take some questions. Why is Shaddai on the uh, mezuzah? Why is it on the mezuzah? Ooh, that's a good one. Why is Shaddai on the mezuzah? I'll have to think a little bit more about that. <clears throat> I know that Hirsch speaks about it, but I'm not going to say it over from memory from years ago. I'll have to look, look in. But it's also, it also follows the same line. I was thinking about it. It's like a reminder to the self that uh, even though God is concealed in this world, we have to remember that He's there to watch us because Shara Yashvanein He's there to watch us and we protect us. I think with the Mizzouz, you know, that's Yeah, I, I would just like to investigate. Excuse me. I don't see it in control. In the concepts of control, right. uh, it's either in the concepts of control or in the concepts concepts of of a very blatant concealment. That's where you're going to find the word shakai. Well, physical possessions are the greatest. Uh, that could be, but I'd rather I'd rather check it out. I know that uh, that Hirsch has a very beautiful interpretation within this context, but I'd rather look it up before I you know before I I talk about it. Okay. Does everybody have the new sheets? Okay. Amaseichel. Anu tzrichim lahavin atam eheicha nim tzakayich ba'adam lahashim chesrei naisav. Question that we all ask. We must now understand, right, 
Where does man get the ability in order to fulfill those things that he is born deficient of? Where does he get it from? Kivan Shinivra Chaser. Since he is created with those deficiencies. Let me explain the extent of the question. Okay? We touched upon this, but let me explain the extent of the question. He, he's putting a lot of flavor into the question. And he went like this, you know, which means that he's putting some flavor into it. <coughs> what Lazaro is asking is the following question, and it really touches on areas that he's going to cover later. If a person, Rahman al-Islan, if a person, God forbid, is born with a, a handicap where something is missing, Something's actually missing. God forbid a hand, an eye, an ear. God forbid something is missing. Right? There is nothing within what we know today that at a given point in time that it can grow later. I mean, we would hope that some things like that would happen, but they don't. If a person is born with a handicap that something is absent, something is missing. Right? Not just something is weak, but something is missing. Chaser. Missing. Right? And if the person is born that way, it's a very big problem. I mean, uh, people that are born with certain things and then they lose them, so then they can regain them in terms of health and in terms of the scar tissue, uh, a tissue growing back and other things, because it was there. If it was there, even if it's taken away, it can come back. But if it wasn't there, which means it was missing in, so to speak, in the embryo of creation, it was, it was missing in that stage, it doesn't come later, right? I mean, unless we read the Enquirer, it doesn't come. Right? Those things don't happen. Right? So what Lizardo is saying is that the physical world is a marshal, is an example of the spiritual world as well as Maimonides uh, in his, his famous eight chapters discusses everything of the physical world we can take as a lesson of something which is true in the spiritual world. Uh, Maimonides has many, many fascinating studies about this. talks about the concept of contagious you know, in the physical world, of bacteria spreading. It's a concept that exists in the spiritual world also, about certain things being contagious. There's a concept of immunity, an immune system. In the physical world, there's a concept of immunity in the spiritual sense, spiritual immunity that a person can, can develop. It's a constant mirror. So Lazaro is taking on face value, and Lazaro is saying on face value, it would seem to him that we are now introducing the concept that God created every man, every human being, with a certain handicap. Chaser, right? Chaser. He was created that way, with chasronos. So now, what Lazaro is asking, if man is created with handicaps, how is man to overcome them? And that's what he means with the... That's a stubborn caller. Uh, trying all the lines. Kivan Shanivra Chaser. Since he's created, okay, since he's created Chaser, in other words, since he has a handicap, how is he going to overcome that? Omnam. Hine, but, in order to answer this question, Anachnu Nechnasim Atabiyam Gadol. We are now going to enter into a vast ocean, or a Chavya Daimoid, in a tremendously vast area. To really answer this question correctly, we need a tremendous amount. We have to touch on a lot of, lot of different areas of trying to understand man and how what what ingredients went into man. 
And unfortunately, the author tells us we have to be patient. Mitun. Mitun, mitun. Lahavin advarim besaydenachin. In order to understand things correctly. Because patience is the way to wisdom. And if you ask the question, why? So you're being impatient. But, this is the way to wisdom. Patience. It's a, it's a big lesson. I'm not going to expound upon it because everybody's impatient. But, uh, but it's, a, it's, a very, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big statement that Lazaro is making over here. A lot, we sacrifice a tremendous amount in terms of depth of understanding very often or the fullness of an understanding because we're impatient with wanting to know answers. And while wanting to know answers is an important element, right, but impatience is very often counterproductive to being able to understand something completely. And therefore, Lazaro is saying that they're good questions, they're pressing questions. It's the question of life. How do you deal with shortcoming? But it needs patience. Now, one has to accumulate one concept on, tom, on another one, one piece of knowledge upon another. Until at the end, everything comes out and one sees the light. You'll excuse the expression. And one sees the whole thing in its entirety. And then in the end, you see why all of the introductions were important. Very often when you go through the different pieces of the introduction, well, why is this important? Let's get on with it. Right? But in the end, by seeing the whole picture, then we can then appreciate the pieces that make up that picture. So he's promising us that we'll come to appreciate some parts of this book that we're impatient about. So the soul says, And you win. Talk the way you want to talk in your proper order. And I'll listen with all of the patience and with all of the necessary de- deliberation that's necessary. Okay. So now the intellect opens up a very interesting a very interesting area. The first thing that I want you to know even though we said Kfar already before that God wanted to give a perception of His greatness and His, of, of His wholesomeness to that which He created. Okay. Let's explain this. This is uh, something which we touched upon in the very first class. But over here he goes into it a little bit at greater depth. And he says the following thing. <coughs> Most of us, when we approach the acquisition of any form of knowledge, if we're very bent on really knowing as much as we can know, we we go with an attitude we go with an attitude that i'm going to learn everything that there is to know about this thing about this area i'm going to virtually know everything about it and 
I will then be become a container, I will then become a vessel, vessel for this knowledge, in whichever area it is. And I cannot be satisfied unless at the end of my pursuit I know that I have total knowledge of that area. Right? I want to be a master in that area. I had somebody that uh, a number of weeks ago uh, was into trying to get a PhD in Talmudic research. Uh, I have to be a master in this, I- this particular area. I have to know everything that's able to be known. Right? And that's possible and conceivable and, and so on. And what Lozano is saying over here is that it's not so. It just isn't so. The, ama- the amount and the extent of knowledge that man can have of God will give him ultimate and tremendous pleasure and make him reach all kinds of different levels of fulfillment. But in no way does that knowledge encompass everything that there is to know. In the spiritual realm, it's not so. And the reason for this is very simple. Because in the spiritual realm, in the understanding of God, it is difficult, if not impossible, for a limited being to understand that which is beyond limits. It's just not possible. So when we start off, and we're trying to become philosophers, and trying to understand God... I often refer to this particular paragraph of Lozado as putting us down a couple of pegs philosophically. What Lozado is saying is if you're out to know everything that there is to know about God and you, and, and you want to walk away saying, I know it all, right? Lozado is saying, close the book. Forget it. There is no such thing as walking away and saying, I know it all. I know everything that's capable for man to understand. I know everything that's capable, everything that God wants me to know and have a comprehension of. Yes. But I know it all is not true. I know it all is not true. And that's why there are, and that expresses itself. I mean, why does a person have to know that? Just to go home feeling lousy? I mean, why is that important? That's important because that puts a certain approach when we ask any question. When we ask any question, we approach the question with, I want to know the answer to this question, and God wants me to know the answer to this question. I'm pursuing an understanding of God that God has asked me to pursue and has given me the ability to understand. Understand. I'm not in an isolated, divorced pursuit of understanding God that's not intimately connected to what God wants, to know, wants me to know. In other words, it's as if God is coming to me and saying, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. And I'm going to share things with you so that you should know me. And to the extent that God says, I'm sharing with you and I want you to know me, it's to that extent that man has the license and the ability to be able to understand. But there are areas where God says, you can't understand, and the way I made you and the goals that I had intended, it's unimportant for you to understand those parts. Now that's very difficult for the ego of man to swallow. Don't tell me what's important and what's not important. 
Don't tell me what I should want to know and what I shouldn't want to know. I want to know what I want to know. Right? And Lazaro is saying is that we can't do that. There's a limitation. By definition, because we're talking about man who is limited and God who is limitless, by definition we have to be willing to start off with the assumption that there is a boundary. There is a limitation in our ability to understand. Now, we also have the premise that God wants us to understand Him. So how do we put the two together? So Lazaro is putting the two together, again, in a, in a very classical and logical balance. God wants us to know Him. He's made many efforts for us to understand who He is. And to the extent that God reveals Himself, it's to that extent that I have an obligation and a delight in understanding Him. But for me to say, I'll, I can know any all of what is, all that is known or to be known about God, that's not true. Now, one might ask, aside of putting, you know, putting the... Now, this is the reason, before before I get to all of the practical applications, this is the reason why, when we become more involved in deeper studies, we will come up against certain things. We will come up against certain things that certain forms of knowledge aren't to be learned at a certain period of time, certain questions cannot be asked, certain things, and it doesn't mean that they cannot be asked, but that there is no, it's not going to be productive for man to get into those kinds of things because of his limitations, and because of his limitations, his ultimate result will be a distorted picture. He's better not to have the picture at all than to have a distorted picture. There's no, there's no purpose for that, and this is perfectly legitimate the acceptance of certain limitations in understanding. Okay? And this is what he's trying to introduce us to over here. So he's saying God wants us to know him, and I'll give you some examples of how God wants us to know him. He wants us to know him, and he gives us a piece of the action. He shows himself. He exposes himself, so to speak, so that we should come to understand who he is. But all of that which we can understand of him which is an exhilarating experience and will reach all of the highest levels that man can perfect himself within that's only katsakatan that's only one little iota of the understanding of God katsamimenu it's only a little little piece God only wanted to reveal a little piece and all of the delight that man can absorb is in that little piece. As we've explained. Okay? Those of you that are a little bit more familiar about the people that entered into the garden, right? and the people that went beyond where they were supposed to go because they wanted to know, quote-unquote, more about God than was legitimate for them to pursue. We know where they ended up. They ended up in all kinds of places where they, the, the bottom fell out and they were left with less less than what, than what would be considered acceptable knowledge. And this is, this is all part of it because the foundation in terms of the approach was wrong. If you want the logical argument for it, it's because it's impossible for a created, limited, dependent being to understand that which is ultimately absolute in existence, God.